Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Now here's your host, Brad Larson. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on the Property Management Mastermind podcast. Be sure to check out our website at propertymanagementmastermind.com, where you will find all of our episodes, products, and services to review to include our newly launched BizDev Mastermind offering, which is consulting services for companies looking to hire and grow using a business development manager. You can visit that site at bizdevmastermind.com. In addition, I wanted to announce the Property Management Mastermind Annual Conference going on in Las Vegas, March 234 at the Mirage Hotel in 2020. Visit the website at pmmcon.com. If you sign up for the conference and both add-on seminars, you'll get a 10% discount. I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Lastly, be sure to find us on Facebook to join the conversation of over 6,000 members in the Property Management Mastermind Facebook group. Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. Hey, everybody, and thanks for joining us. Today, I've got Mr. John Warlow on the line, and he is going to give us an impressive interview. Just got done with it, and it was an amazing. Some of the numbers and metrics he drops in there and the tidbits of knowledge about being acquired and or looking to acquire are phenomenal. He's going to be a speaker at the Property Manager Mastermind Conference on Tuesday, March 3rd. Definitely want to be there for that. Be sure to sign up for that conference and look forward to seeing you in Vegas. We'll talk soon. Welcome, everybody, to the Property Manager Mastermind Show. I am your host, Brad Larson, and today's guest, I'm very excited to have Mr. John Warlow from Built to Sell. Now, I've been listening to John's podcast for several years. He's written two outstanding books, and I'm going to have him talk about that in a minute. But quickly, let's get into it. John, how are you today? I'm great, man. How are you? Appreciate you coming on. I want to get the five W's out of real quick. So if you can maybe give me a, a quick spin of who you are, what you are, and let's talk about some of those books you've written. Yeah, sure. So I help entrepreneurs, business owners improve the value of their company. We've worked with 50,000 businesses now over at Value Builder. We have a thousand coaches around the world that work with owners to help them jack up the value of their business leading up to an exit. Wrote a couple books. Both of them pertain to driving company value. One's called Built to Sell and the other's called The Automatic Customer. And that's really why I engage with you because one, I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. I've read both the books and it relates 100%, 100% towards the property management business, the property management industry. So what most of my peers are doing is we manage residential and some commercial properties ranging from single family homes all the way up to probably high rise buildings in New York City. So there's a lot of variation in between there, but it's all the same concept because your first book was called Built to Sell. And there's a lot of good things around that. I want you to talk a little bit about that because I want to get into your second book because then people will start to realize, oh, wow, that just relates exactly to what we do. Please talk about the Built to Sell book. 
Yeah, really the essence of built to sell is is how do you create a business that can thrive without you? You know, so many owners, uh, you know, Michael Gerber talked about it in his book, The E-Myth, they have the entrepreneurial seizure, right? Where they uh, they think they know something about managing a property and they're like, why do I have to do it for the man? I, you know, I'll start my own company and I'll get rich and it'll be great. And they get in there and quickly realize that if the business is dependent on them personally, not only do they not have a life, but they don't actually have a business, they have a job that just looks like like a, a, a company. And so built to sell is how do you really ex- extricate yourself from the day-to-day operations of your company so that it is an asset that can thrive without you? And then you've got the, the ultimate poker hand, right? You can, you can sell it if you want. You can bring in management to sort of run the thing day-to-day and make it sort of a... Uh, Kind of a harvesting business, uh, uh, or you know, bring in a private equity group, whatever. You've got all the options, but uh, but the kind of prerequisite for all of that is: can the thing thrive without you personally doing all the work? I just got back from a systems conference in Vegas. Paul Kankowski put that on. Great job, Paul, on that, by the way. And exactly what you're talking about is exactly what relates into the systems of the business. Getting those systems in place to where it can run without you. You don't need to be there to sign the checks. You don't need to be there necessarily to approve the tenants. You don't need to be there to make work orders happen. And it's easier to say than do. It's a challenging thing to build that up over time. But that should be potentially everyone's goal to replace themselves because what you're doing, let's look at this in a different way. So if you can create a business that runs itself without you, it's the same as owning a rental property because a rental property, when done right, is cash flow. Passive income, right? Passive income. So in a business, when it's done right, it is passive income, cash flow. And I think if we look at that in a different light versus, oh, I've got to build it to where I have a job, I'm building up my name, you know, it's my name on the door. Uh, It goes back to a podcast you just did. We'll talk about that further in the episode, but, you know, built to sell the book, what I thought was outstanding. I've been listening to the podcast for years. I know I'm fanboy right now. I'm I'm raving on you. Uh, However, it ties right into that second book you wrote. And I think you want to touch on that. Yeah, by all means. I mean, certainly for your audience, it would it would be relevant. You know, one of the eight drivers of company value is recurring revenue. That automatic sort of drip feed of of revenue that you get for rental uh, income, as an example, and and it is so important to the value of your business because for an acquirer, uh, when they look at the company, they're going to want to know how does this business sort of succeed without the owner. Well, one part of that is operationally, can it succeed without the other owner. But the other part of it is commercially. Can this business continue to thrive without the owner? And what they're looking for there is recurring revenue, an annuity stream, essentially. And so, uh, you know, property management companies, by definition, are annuity businesses, right? You've got monthly income coming in, and that is incredibly valuable to potential acquirers. So it's not surprising that there's consolidation in the marketplace, uh, lots of acquirers coming into property management companies to buy them up, in part because of the recurring uh, revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And so I remember vividly sitting in my driveway about 10, 12 years ago and thinking, man, I've, you know, I've been doing real estate sales for seven, eight years and I was actually pretty good at it. But I was thinking, I want something that's not on that merry-go-round to where if you stop the merry-go-round, it stops. And then if you stop the bike rolling, it's just stopped. So I wanted something like the insurance where you, you know, you hear of insurance agents having a book of business and it's, uh, you know, the, the recurring revenue of insurance and people just, you know, automatically renew, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, it just hit me. I'm like, whoa, it's right in front of me. It's it's property management in the residential space because I'm already in it. So why not go full bore into that? And that's when I decided, okay, management is where I'm going to go. And that's where I've kind of dedicated the last 10 years. And it's, you know, I think it's a fantastic business. It, it, it just keeps getting better with all the new technology that comes out. 
There are disruptors, but they're not to the point where they're going to kill our industry. It's just so fragmented. There's not anywhere close to full penetration in the business as far as the the owners is who we want, the homeowners. Uh, so I think there's a lot of room to grow and it makes our industry, you know, very healthy, I would say. So a couple yeah, of things there. I just want to throw out that story. Anything to add on that? Yeah, no, only only that <laughs> I, had, I did a talk recently. It's funny. Uh, we were talking about kind of annuity stream businesses and and, and I was asking the audience, sort of, you know, what's your aspiration for your business? Like, do you want to sell it? Do you want to bring management? And, you know, people's hands are going up in the air when I said, do you want to sell and half the audience? But one guy puts his hand up and says, I don't want any of the above. And I said, okay, I'll bite. What do you want? He says, I want a sailboat business. I'm like, okay, what? Sailboat. I look, okay, what 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 is a sailboat business? He's like, I want a business where I can put my feet up on the gunnels of my sailboat and people will send me checks. <laughs> Which sounds like property management is exactly that. It can be when when run well. I mean, because yeah. it's a needed service. We provide a great service to our owners and our tenants. I really am convinced of that. They need it. It's wanted. And, uh, you know, naturally with that goes, if you can do the tough job, you're going to get the rewards. I mean, it's just like anything. If you're cleaning toilets for a living on a mass scale, somebody's going to reward you for that. Now, mm-hmm. I want to transition this into, you know, we did engage. We have you coming to the Property Manager Mastermind Conference. You're speaking there Tuesday morning. Uh, that's March 3rd. And I encourage everybody to look at our, our, our agenda for that. Go to pmmcon.com to look at it and sign up. I think it's going to be a fantastic conference. I want to give you a few minutes to kind of give us a synopsis of, uh, or at least a teaser, if you would, of what you plan on speaking at and speaking about there at the conference. Yeah. I mean, I I want to share with you the eight key drivers of company value. You know, for most owners, they think, okay, the value of my company is very simple. It's going to be revenue. uh, It's going to be a recurring revenue, but there are actually seven other key drivers of your company's value that could have a material impact on the value you ultimately harvest from your company when you're going to sell it. Uh, these are the things that aren't really spoken about a lot. So we'll talk about those and how you can lever up those drivers uh, of value in your company, whether you want to sell or, or simply want to build an asset that over time will grow in value. We're going to do a deep dive as well on recurring revenue. In particular, I want to talk to you about some of the metrics that really acquirers look at um, to to evaluate the health of a recurring revenue business. So I want to get into uh, some ratios that I think you're going to find interesting um, that you can start to optimize for. I think it might make you make some different decisions in your firm today. So uh, I'm excited to share that with you as well. I am very excited about that because one of our add-on seminars is a key performance indicator metrics class. And Mike Nelson right. is putting it on Monday morning and that's a three-hour seminar. So I encourage everybody to go to that because that's tying in the NARPM accounting standards, which are fairly new in the industry, into the key performance indicators that he's going to be sharing with you. And the metrics that you're going to be talking about as an outside industry level will, I'm sure, will equate at some point to those two scenarios that we just talked about there. I'm very excited right. about that. Awesome. Very cool. Um, anything to add on that point? Yeah, no, it's, it's really, you know... What, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that companies reach sort of a plateau in in many cases where they really reach a point where they're they, they've stopped growing uh, because they've gone beyond what the owner can either do or sell, and so for a lot of companies uh, that are deeply dependent on the owner, there's no longer no. You know, no more doing that the owner can do. There's no more hours in the day. But when it comes to selling equally, they may reach a point where they just can't uh, sell anymore personally. And so what leads 
that what that leads to is oftentimes an underinvestment in sales and marketing, acquiring new customers. And so I think the some of the kind of key metrics that I'll talk to is when you can start to invest in sales and marketing, when you should hire business development people rather than doing it yourself personally, uh, when you should hold off and tool, retool your business so that it, uh, you can really scale it up. So Again, a couple of sort of, if you think about a, a traffic light, yellow, red, green, I'll give you some metrics that will help you know when to hit the gas in your company and really invest, uh, when to kind of proceed with caution and then equally when to, when to put the brakes on. I think that's, that's a good point. I'm going to tie this back into something else we're doing. And so a lot of people know that we have the BizDev Mastermind, which is a consulting service to help hire and train a business development person for your property management business. Oh, that's resident. fantastic. And so... A lot of the questions we get there is how much of our revenue, you don't have to answer this, how much of our revenue do we need to invest into business development? And so I mean, sometimes we say, it's almost like tithing, 5-10% to where you say, okay, I'm going to slice this off for new business development, either salaries and or Google pay-per-click ads or tools and tricks and trades or whatever those could be. There's a hundred different ways to generate business and they're all market specific, but that's part of what we help people with in our new service that's been going for this you know, last year and a half is the BizDev Mastermind service. And I think that's, uh, it ties right in. So I didn't want to ask, you know, I, I, don't, I don't expect to answer that question. Oh, it's 5.7%. You got to invest in your business every year. I'm sure there's nothing like that, but it's a, it's a neat little concept to see people slice off numbers to say, okay, we're going to project that it will be here, project it'll be there. Uh, really cool. Property managers, are you looking to add more doors? If so, you're not going to want to miss the BizDev Seminar in Atlanta on January 21st at the Hilton Airport. Attendees will learn the RentWorks playbook responsible for adding more than 1,100 doors in just three years. We aren't gurus, we are the doers. And on January 21st in Atlanta, we're going to teach you how to do what we've done. Brad Larson, Scott Brady, me, Brian Hughes, Lead Simple, and Property Manager websites will all be speaking at the BizDev Seminar just to name a few. Learn actionable information that you can implement into your business immediately. We give you the roadmap. All you have to do is execute. Get your tickets for the BizDev Seminar in Atlanta on January 21st now at bizdevseminar.com. That's bizdevseminar.com. If I may, I'd like to switch gears if you have anything to add on that. Yeah, uh, no, switch gears. Go ahead. Okay. I'd like to go talk about your last episode, right? This is a plug for you. And I, I just, again, I love your podcast show. It's episode 219, episode 219, uh, Built to Sell podcast. You can get it on iTunes or Stitcher. And there's several other places you can get it. And go to your website, builttosell.com. You can pick it up right there. So you did an acquisition uh, interview with Scott Raymond, and he's a residential property manager most likely, a lot of the folks that are listening to this may know of him or heard of him, or at least he's in the same industry. He's in the same organization. And so that, this is interesting because the, the interview was about him selling to an acquirer and some of the things that he learned and some of the things that he would do differently. And so I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. You got to listen to him. You got to hear kind of what he talked about. Would you have any advice kind of hearing from what he did? to offer to just one little golden nugget to any other property management company owners out there uh, it, that could be or wanted to be in his situation, whether buying or selling. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do this podcast called Built to Sell Radio. We interview a different entrepreneur every week. And you're right. Scott Raymond was on, uh, I think, last week. Uh, they, um, a company called Mind, M-Y-N-D, uh, recently acquired his business that are doing a bit of a roll-up in the property management space. And and look, I, I don't um, I don't know that I could speak directly to Scott's situation. What I what I could tell you though is is from 
a uh, uh, perspective of a, a roll-up strategy, which I believe Mind is 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 doing. Uh, you know, they're really interested in in geographic acquisition, so uh, they're they're looking at, at at doing a land grab in certain geographic regions, and so. You know, from your perspective as a property management owner listening to this show, uh, I'd want to be thinking about why are strategic acquirers making acquisitions? So there's two types of acquirers in the in the universe. There's kind of financial buyers and strategic buyers. Financial buyers are simply buying your cash flow, right? So they're uh, they are buying your profit. Right, and so they're doing a, a mathematical calculation. It's called discounted cash flow, and what they're doing is trying to figure out what's your stream of cash flow worth. And if you've ever done a cap rate, you know what discounted cash flow is. What is your cash flow worth to me today? What is the rights to your future cash flow worth to me today? That's the financial buyer, and it usually leads to a relatively modest multiple acquisition. Relatively modest. A strategic acquirer is, is making a different acquisition. They're, they're saying, okay, given our strategic assets, how, um, how valuable is this company in our hands? So for example, if you've got a, a, an acquirer out there who already has uh, property management staff, IT, infrastructure, salespeople, et cetera, and, and really all they want is doors, if you will, then it's a lot more valuable in their hands than it would be in your hands because you've got to pay all those people. And so that's the definition of a strategic acquirer. And, and the strategic acquirer is going to want to keep all the strategic value. So you're going to say, look, I want you to pay me a higher multiple because of all these strategic synergies. And they're going to turn around and go, time out. Yes, we have synergies, but that's our business and that's our money and, and, and that's not yours. And so your job as an entrepreneur is to argue and, and negotiate for a small slice of the strategic synergy. The strategic acquirer is going to always get the lion's share of that money. But if it's a big enough acquirer, a small slice of the strategic value could be a significant amount of money in your genes. So again, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out who are the acquirers and, and why do they want to to be in this space. Like if, if there's a land grab going on, if somebody really wants to acquire companies in your geographic footprint, let's say you're in St. Louis and everybody wants to have a property management company in St. Louis, chances are there are other competitive companies that are also doing a roll-up. Typically, roll-ups don't happen in isolation. They usually happen when more than one private equity group backs a strategy. And so if one private equity company is doing a roll-up, chances are there are other Private equity companies rolling rolling up in your geographic footprint, and if you can get a bidding war get you know together between two buyers, that's when you start to jack up your your valuation. And, and is that a, an acceptable practice? I mean, what do you think of that? Is that what do you think? Uh, yeah, not only acceptable, required, I believe, in a lot of cases. So there's a thing called a proprietary deal or a prop deal where an acquirer uh, starts a negotiation with a, a a business owner on an exclusive basis. And the acquirer approaches the business owner and says, they shower them with compliments. Oh, you're doing a fantastic job. It's amazing to see the metrics in your company. We'd love for you, know, you to join our family so we could learn from you. And what they're doing is showering you and stroking your ego to the point where you agree to a no-shop clause. The no-shop clause forbids you from negotiating with another acquirer. And during that time, they do due diligence. Now, 
in some cases, they're doing that legitimately because they want to evaluate your company. In other cases, they're doing it just as a, as a fishing exercise. There's rarely a breakup clause in a small acquisition, meaning there's rarely any fee they have to pay for not consummating the deal. If they get to the end of the diligence and they think, okay, I still want to buy this company, they're typically going to lower the acquisition price because they know they've got a hook into you because you've already mentally checked out and decided to sell your company. So a proprietary deal is one of the biggest mistakes you can fall into as an owner. And it happens naturally because you get sort of lulled into this uh, ego stroke. The alternative is to create competitive tension for your business, which is done by drumming up multiple offers. And so that's when typically done by an M&A professional, mergers and acquisition professional. That's not my expertise. That's not what I do for a living. Uh, but it's done, I, I believe, in, in using them. Their job is to create competitive tension. So their job is to go out, represent you. And if, they've got, if you've got one potential acquirer, get a second to create tension. And when the tension exists, two things happen. Number one, the price goes up that you get for your company. Number two, the deal <coughs> terms tend to be more favorable. And the third thing that happens is, is also a good thing. It's much less likely that they will retrade at the end of the 60-day due diligence process, meaning they're much less likely to lower the price because they know that waiting in the wings, there's another acquirer because you've run a structured process. If you get lulled into a prop deal, you know, it just, it's just like, this, like pulling the string of a sweater, a yarn on a sweater. It, it, like it's a never-ending process. Due diligence stretches for months and months and months. There's no competitive tension. And ultimately, they either drop the price or walk. Great advice. One thing I picked up on that is how he approached his employees and his clients. And from what I could tell, he did a really good job on that to where there were no leaks to where the employees got wind, you know, prior to him and they were, you know, starting to talk yeah. the rumor mill and people were leaving and or he had uh, no employees uh, leak it to owners and or clients and or tenants to where they were starting to hit the panic button. So from what I could tell, they did a pretty good job keeping that under wraps. And when they made the announcement, it was all it was all in, is all inclusive. And then he got lots of heart to hearts with people, especially employees, because, you know, they're he's there to... Uh, provide for them. And it seemed like he did a really good job with that. So I, I, I'm kind of complimenting him. You have never met him. But I think just from that episode, I picked up quite a few things that he did right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. You know, when it comes to telling your employees, it can be very difficult because, you know, what, what an M&A professional will tell you is that um, telling your employees before the check is in your hand is a huge mistake because employees thrive on certainty and they've all heard stories of, of, of people losing their jobs because of an acquisition. And so the moment you say, hey, I'm thinking of selling my company, uh, they're going to start brushing up their resume, their LinkedIn profile. And who do they go to? Right, they go to other property management companies because that's their expertise. Right, they're a property management person, and so they think, okay, well, who else does property management? And they go to all five of your competitors in town and say, hey, I'm like a manager. I'd like to, you know, have a job, or I, you know, I want, want to know if you have any jobs. Then all of a sudden, the other five of your competitors know that you're for sale, and the whole thing falls apart. Um, so the worst thing you can do is tell your employees. The problem with that is it makes you feel like a duplicitous lover. It makes you feel like a cheat, right? You're like kind of walking around the office with this terrible secret and you feel guilty and overwhelmed. These are the people that, uh, you know, brought you to the dance. They, they're your, they're your, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're the ones that, that you, you, you feel 
um, you owe something to and you're cheating on them. And it's incredibly difficult period for a lot of owners. But as difficult as it is, the, the, the right answer is to not tell your employees other than that perhaps the one or two key employees who are, are strategic to the deal. And, and when you tell them, you need to have them under an NDA, those employees under an NDA, they need to have an incentive, i.e. a cash, like a bonus, some sort of incentive that when you sell your company, they get rewarded as well. Um, and that the only way they get rewarded is if they keep it confidential. So that's an important part of, uh, of successfully selling your company is, is how you treat your employees. I think that's a good idea. I've not heard much about that ever spoken about is to put your employees, your key employees, I'm assuming your accounting folks, because they're going to want to see numbers, uh, put them on an NDA with a, with a cash bonus if it goes through. Now, that's a good idea. I think that's a that's yeah. pretty so smart. Your accounting folks, though, you, you, can, you can outsource the accounting. So a lot of times, the accounting is done by a third-party firm or some of the bookkeeping is. So that's usually... Uh, can be easier to stick handle as opposed to a client facing person, like a person who shows up when the toilets are clogged, like that person um, or the manager of that person, you know, you, you may need to let them know uh, uh, depending on how strategic they are to the success of your company. Agreed. So tell me about the built to sell webpage and the value builder system. Yeah. So essentially what we do, as I mentioned out of the gate, is we work with owners of companies, typically small to medium-sized businesses, uh, call it one to 10 million in annual revenue, 10 to 50 employees. And we help them improve the value of their company. Oftentimes it's leading up to an exit. It doesn't have to be. When I say we, we've got about a thousand coaches around the world that have licensed our methodology, our system. uh, And they are the ones who actually deliver the value builder engagement, which is the methodology. Typical business owner, when they come to us, we give them a score out of 100 on the value builder questionnaire. The average score is 59. So there's some room for improvement. If a business goes through and improves their score uh, using the 12 steps we talk about and achieve a score of 90 or greater on the value builder questionnaire, so those are our kind of best in class, those businesses on average are getting offers of 7.1 times pre-tax profit versus the businesses that start with us that are getting offers of 3.3 times pre-tax profit. Dude, dang, they so can double it, the value a, of the business. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge delta. The other thing they do is double the likelihood that they will receive an offer. So typically, again, we work with 51,000 business owners now. Uh, last time I looked at the data, about 12% of them had received a written offer to buy their business in the last year. If we look at those that have achieved a score of 90 or greater, again, this is a, like a small subset of our universe who are kind of our best in class. 34% of them have received a written offer to buy their business. So you're actually three times more likely to get an offer. And for a lot of owners, they don't want to sell, but they love to know they could sell, right? They love to be in the catbird seat knowing that, man, I've got people coming to me, you know, uh, courting me. That's a very powerful position. And, and a lot of owners don't really want to sell, but they love to, to be courted. Right. And, and again, getting your value to the score north of 90 means you're three times more likely to get an offer than you would be uh, if you're just an average performing business. I didn't have any idea about those big metrics. 51,000 customers. That's pretty impressive. Um, you know, I may have to engage with you to come look at Rentworks. I think that might be a, a pretty smart play. Yeah. So, it's been a fantastic episode, John. I know you got a hard time coming up in the next few minutes. I just want to kind of wrap it up. Uh, you're going to be at the Property Manager Mastermind Conference on the 3rd of March. Tuesday, speaking there in the morning. I encourage Can't everybody. Wait. Go ahead. 
I just I can't wait. Well, let's get there tomorrow. Let's move. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. So yeah, this is going to be, I got a lot out of this. Surprisingly, I, I thought it was going to be just kind of an intro to what you're doing, but man, you got some deep insight in there. I really, really appreciate you offering it to the listeners and we're very excited to have you at the conference. So uh, I will let you go and appreciate your time today. John, thank you. See you there, man. Looking forward to it. Take care. Property Meld is made for maintenance work automation. Property Meld will work to schedule, remind, verify completion, and follow up with your residents automatically while providing the best-in-class communication system for your ease of use, your vendors, and your tenants. Begin reducing maintenance coordination time and increasing tenant satisfaction today. Learn more at PropertyMeld.com. This has been a podcast episode by PropertyManagementProductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.